Hey, family, it's good to see you. Woo! Woo! My name is Eddie. I am the lead pastor here. It is it's a pleasure to be with you, especially if you're new. If you are new, thank you for coming and spending some time with us. Uh, hope that it's been enjoyable thus far. Maybe you've gotten some donuts. If not, there will be more later. Because uh, that's the main point. No. Uh, but I'm, I'm happy to be with you. Um, a few things before we get into the word. First of all, thank you to everyone who participated in the Bible journey. It was amazing. We had about, there you go. We had about 80 participants, or at least 80 active on the text line participants. Maybe some of you did it and you didn't sign up for the text and that's fine because it's about reading the Bible, not being on a text line. Um, but it was really neat to be able to uh, go through a portion of the Bible as a, as a congregation and, and even there were some WhatsApp groups where, where people were kind of giving their thoughts about what the Bible was saying and what God was doing as a result. And, and my encouragement is that we can continue to do it. As I said last week, this journey is one that should go from uh, early on to forever. Because there's not a point where we're going to reach uh, a level of maturity where we no longer need to get into this word. So my encouragement is please continue to get in the word. It's good for you. It's good for me. It's great, and, it, and it's one of the primary ways that God uh, brings his grace into our lives. Um, the second thing is I have a couple corrections to make. Uh, unfortunately, I, I, I said some things last week. Well, one thing specifically that, that was incorrect. I said in Romans it says that uh, those who are dead in our trespasses, God made alive in Christ. And that is Paul, so I was, I was, I was still wrong, but it was Paul. <laughs> It says in, in Colossians, let me go there right now, Colossians uh, chapter 2, verse 13, this is what I was trying to say, and you who were dead in the, your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So if you heard Romans and you're like, that's weird, or maybe you heard it and you didn't think about it, either way, it is actually Colossians. Now today... In thinking about this correction, while I was giving the, uh, well, while we were taking communion at the Lord's Supper, I said that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and that's in Colossians, because I was thinking, okay, it's Colossians, it's Colossians. Actually, that's in Romans. <laughs> so that's, Romans, we're going to be really familiar by, with Romans and Colossians by the end of the day. Um, Romans chapter 8, but God shows us his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, someone pointed that out to me uh, quickly during the message, and for that Berean man of God who is not in here, thank you. Um, but uh, I, I never want to be someone who re- misrepresents the word of God. Um, so if ever you hear something, you're like, what? really? It, you know, if it's a matter of opinion, like I don't like what you had said about the Bible and I correctly exegeted the Bible, I'm sorry, you have to take that up with God. But if I say that, uh, you know, in Second Colossians, the cats are talking or something ridiculous, please text me or, uh, and let me know. I appreciate that. Uh, so thank you for your grace that I'm hoping you're extending to me right now. Um, <clears throat> this week, we're going to start a new series. We've been talking about discipleship. And, and this week, I wanted, uh, we're, we're going to talk more about really the mission and the identity of Grace Covenant Church as a, as a body. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that we could be about. 
There are, there are a lot of aspects of ministry that could frame or shape who we are as a people. And, and perhaps you've been at a church that, that was shaped by something specific. Maybe you went to a church and, and they had, uh, their, their primary focus was, was reaching out to the poor. And, and maybe they had a, 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 some sort of outreach there, a, a soup kitchen or something like that. And, and that was what they did. Or maybe you went to a church and the primary focus was spectacular worship and everything kind of oriented itself around that Sunday service such that uh, it was about how excellent the worship was, how amazing the, the uh, worship leaders were. And, and none of these things are bad within and of themselves, but we as a church um, have been shaped by this gospel message. And, and so today I want to consider how that frames us as individuals and then us as a body. So we're going to be reading out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, this is a great, great chapter. Uh, I've preached on it many times. I'm thankful to be able to do it again today. Uh, but it's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. If you could stand with me. For those of you who are new, we read the Bible out loud. We read the scripture out loud as a way of hearing the word of God on our own lips and on the lips of our neighbors. As a way of responding and, and reflecting God's words back to him. Is one, one of the most important aspects of what we do, uh, because this is the word of God. So we're going to read this together. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for us, according to scriptures, that he was buried with us, that he was raised on the third day, according to scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, I thank you that you have given us not just a code of conduct or a program for self-improvement, but you've given us news that, that transforms lives. That by, by the, the work of Jesus Christ... We are saved, and that salvation is, is mediated to us by the faith that we have in that word, by the faith that we have in the work of Christ, the finished work of Christ. And Father, I pray that we would receive your son, Jesus Christ, we would believe him, we would live our lives in response to the grace that we receive from him, that we would be empowered by that grace to minister in his name. That we would be a people who are shaped by grace. 
a true grace covenant congregation. Bless us as we study your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Now, Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church. So these are likely individuals who believe Jesus. They've heard the testimonies about Jesus. They're not primarily newcomers to to the gospel. They're not primarily unbelievers. They're, They're church folk. And he says this to them. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. I would remind you of the gospel I preached to you. Paul understood that, that we are forgetful people. And I've said this a number of times, but it bears repeating. The, the fall affects more than just our behavior. The fact that Adam and Eve disobeyed God and, and, and sinned affected all of their children. And the effect was not just on their behavior or their will. It also affects their thinking and their feelings. And it affects us. And so part of our forgetfulness is a, a willing, rebellious forgetfulness. And you, you can see it when, when you interact with, with really anyone who wants to kind of cover things up. Maybe, maybe you have children and this has been the case. Maybe you have perfectly perfect children and that's not the case. But you've heard, you know, hey, who, who made this mess? I don't know. D- did you make this mess? I mean can't remember okay well your name is written in ketchup oh I forgot sorry yes I made this mess I'll go clean it up right there's a there's a forgetfulness and we laugh and you know maybe we don't act like a, a, a three-year-old playing with spaghetti or a very smart three-year-old to write their name in in ketchup but whatever um but, but we have a forgetfulness about us that is more than just a cognitive inability. It, it really is centered at the heart. And the Bible talks about how our primary issue is not just one of not knowing something, but it's rejecting something about God. And so he reminds us. I would remind you of the gospel, and then he goes on to talk about it. The gospel I preached to you, this is a message that, that Paul gave to them. This was a message that they received, it says in verse 1, that you received, and it's, it's one in which they stand, and by which you are being saved, and one that they have to hold fast to. So this is a gospel message that, it's, it's not just um, do as I do, it's not just follow my lead, but there's, there's an information exchange happening. So... Sometimes, you know, you've, you've seen the bumper sticker, um, um, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. And I, again, I, this is something I've said before, but, but the gospel is something that has to be preached with words. If, if we turn on the news, what we don't see are the, the news anchors acting out things, <laughs> behaving in a particular way and expecting us to glean from that a report of what has happened. No, they give us a verbal report of what has happened. Now, there might be visuals to, to further uh, elucidate what's happened, but, but they are giving us a verbal testimony, a report, an eyewitness account of what has happened. And so Paul is saying the same thing. I preached to you an eyewitness account. Or for Paul, it wasn't an eyewitness account, and we'll get to that in a moment. 
but it was an account of what God had done in Christ, in history. It was actual, factual information. <coughs> At its core, the gospel uh, and, and, and Christianity <coughs> sorry, is not, Christianity is not a set of things that you must do. It's a, it's a set of things that God has done in history that we believe and because of our belief and, and, and the, the consistent living out of that belief, we are changed. Thank you. He exhorts them to remember this gospel. So what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Again, and this is one of those things where we need to define our terms. Because if you turn on the radio, you might, oh, 104.1, gospel music. So gospel is music, and you got to have an organ and you know some rambunctious music, and and maybe there's there's aspects of gospel music that refer to what the Bible itself is talking about the gospel, but gospel music isn't necessarily the gospel. Gospel, you know, that's gospel. Does that just mean um, what's the core tenets of, of faith? I mean, sort of. You know, when you come to uh, Lockheed Martin. It's, it's gospel that you do these things and believe these things, you know, and, and people can use that term to kind of describe a core set of things that you have to ascribe to. And, and for Christianity, certainly that's part of it. But what, what does Paul mean when he says gospel? He tells us, he says, for I delivered to you as of first importance, what I also received, right? He said uh, in verse one, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached that you received. And he's talking about this reception of the gospel. And he says, this is the one I delivered or preached to you, which I also received. He said, I'm in the same position as you. I have received this gospel message. Paul uh, Paul was unique in that respect when it came to the apostles. The other apostles had seen Christ and witnessed it. But Paul, and and it's interesting, uh, an apostle to the Gentiles, to whom Christ had not necessarily come, Paul receives a gospel message from Jesus on the road to Damascus, or from Damascus. Oh, gosh. It's an Acts. We'll get there. I'll issue a correction next week. Um, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll actually go to that text in a moment. But um, he, he receives a gospel message. And if you read Paul, he talks about his gospel because his was a gospel message that he received from Jesus. And he says... Uh, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Verse four, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with scripture and that he appeared to Cephas or, or Peter. That's Peter. Then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So what is this good news? What is this gospel message that, that Paul is proclaiming? First of all, it's that Christ died for our sins. And he, he goes on to describe that more in Romans 6.23. Um, Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin, the cost of our sin, the payment for our sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our sin demands a response. Our sin demands a punishment. Our sin demands that a wage be paid. And that wage is death. And Jesus came to pay that debt. Christ came 
and he died for our sins. He was buried. This wasn't some sort of fanciful, swooning moment where Jesus quote-unquote dies and then the apostles try to hide him from the public to kind of create some sort of event. No, he was buried. They knew where he was buried. They They knew whose tomb it was. They could go and check. You know, there were centurions who were posted there to protect the, the tomb. He was buried. And yet he rose from the dead. And, and preempting the, the, the pushback that some might say, he, he rose from the dead and he appeared to Cephas. He appeared to the twelve. He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Now, this, this means something different to us because we aren't, contemporaries with Peter, we're not contemporaries with the other people, but for them, this was significant. This was a testimony and it was, hey, Jesus came back from the dead. He appeared to Bill in accounting. Go to Bill. Go talk to Bill. He appeared to, to Stephen and he appeared to my, my whole bowling team of 500 people. You can go to, well, some of them died in the tournament, but the others... The others you can go talk to. That's why he says that some have fallen asleep. He, he, <clears throat> he acknowledges the fact that, you know, some of them you can't talk to, but there are some that you can. <clears throat> because the gospel is primarily a testimony. It's a testimony to be received. So as I said, he says, um, he appeared to... Uh, more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. He acknowledges, you know what, you can't talk to all of them, but you can talk to some of them. Paul does not primarily offer a self-help system or a set of ethical rules. What Paul preaches and what we're invited to receive and believe is a testimony, a historical report. Now, family, this is significant because the step one of Christianity is not do better. Really, step one is, oh no, there's no amount of doing better that I can do. To go back to Romans, it says the wages of sin is death. He doesn't say, well, the wages of sin are, uh, you know, this range that you kind of have to, you need an actuator to figure out. And there's this bracket and this bracket. And man, if you you cuss at your parents, I mean, it's really bad, but if you... You, you know, punch a police officer, it's even, you know, it's not, no, the wages of sin, period, is death. There's one payment, it's your life. And, it, and it's an eternal death, and, and we could go in and talk about that, but, but he says the wages of sin is death, and the gift is that Jesus Christ paid that debt. That's, that's step one, is realizing there's nothing I can do, and God has done something in history for me. You see, family, if you or I could do something, if we could save ourselves, we would save ourselves. But the problem is, my problem is intrinsic to Eddie Barnes. I'll repeat that. My problem is intrinsic, it's inside me. You watch kids fight sometimes and you hear them talk and, you know, why did you punch him? Well, he made me do it. No, he didn't take your fist and then shove it in his face. You know, unless you guys are playing a weird game that I don't know. Make me punch you. No, we respond 
in a sinful manner because there is sin inside of us. There's indwelling sin the Bible talks about. So if, if we can't save ourselves, if, if the problem is inside us, then the solution has to be external to us. Now, corporately, the problem is all of us. So there's no one in this room or any church room or any location on earth that can say, I have the solution because no, they have the problem. So there had to be someone who could pay my sins, who could be like me, who could, who could pay in the same currency as my death, but who was without sin and without a need for a savior himself. Jesus came and he died for our sins. He was buried again, or so he was buried and rose from the dead. This is, this is the truth that he wants to remind them of. Now, it's, it's a belief, but it's a belief that if we believe it, it changes the way we live and act. So there is a, an ethical component to the gospel, but it's an ethical comp- component that comes as a result of what you and I believe. You know, I know that some, there are some, some uh, military individuals here and, and police officers and, and other people who have handled firearms. And there are specific beliefs about the capabilities of firearms that make you very respectful of the rules of handling a firearm. Right? You, you don't point it at something unless you want to shoot that thing. You don't put your finger on the trigger unless you're ready to pull the trigger. I mean, these are things that you do because you believe that there's a projectile in this machine that if, if it comes out of the machine, it will cause problems for whatever is in the way of that projectile. The belief results in a particular behavior. Now, we live in a world and a time that tries to disconnect belief from behavior, but that's not a thing, family. You know, we live in a, in a, in a time, and, and it's called postmodernism. it's past modernism. Modernism was this, this movement in, in philosophy and, and art and everything that, that kind of looked at reality and said there are objective truths, and these truths are, are self-evident, and they, they exist outside of people, and they're, they're observable. And postmodernism came in and basically said, well, Maybe. But, but you have a perspective, I have a perspective, and, and they're both legitimately valuable and valid. And, and now, most people would not argue that about things like their paycheck or, um, you know, their time. But when it comes to religion and, like, what happens after life or after death or, or you know, who is God? Is there a God? These are things that, that have, really, the culture has tried to relegate to subjective reality. You know, your reality is your reality, my reality is my reality. And this is one of the reasons that the gospel is so important is because it's anchored in objective reality. You know, Paul wasn't saying, I have this testimony to give you that you can believe or not believe because truth doesn't matter, historical facts, are they real? No, he's saying, this happened, guys. You can talk to these guys. You can look at the tomb. And he says, because of this, there has to be a real response to the belief. If your belief is this kind of postmodern, uh, fuzzy, uh, jello belief where you're like, ah, you know, I believe it, but it, it shouldn't really affect the way I live, that's not belief as the Bible describes belief. That's not reception as the Bible calls reception. He says in verse um, one and two 
this is the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, not uh, received as one truth among many, but receives as the truth in which you stand. You don't stand in this like it's jello and it's wobbly, but no, it's firm and it's a foundation on which you can stand by which you are being saved. Right? You, don't want to, you don't believe in something in a way where you're like, maybe I'm being saved, maybe I'm not. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And, and Paul in that moment acknowledges that there's a kind of belief, there's a kind of mental assent that doesn't save. And he's, uh, um, it, it says elsewhere in the Bible that, that the, the demons believe in God. They believe in Jesus, that he exists, but their kind of belief is not a saving belief because their kind of belief does not result in behavioral change. So he says, there's a new identity, there's a new, there's a belief that, that should shape the way you live. And he talks about himself. He says, last of all, in verse 8, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. And, and as I said, said before, uh, for Paul, he, he had this radical conversion. In, in Philippians chapter 3, verses four, and six, 4 through 6, he describes who he was before the cross. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, talking about, if anyone thinks that there's something, that they're righteous, that they're, they've got something to, to boast about, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. Of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So he says, I have credentials. I, I have stuff to boast about. And he, he had so oriented himself against the cross. He was an enemy. He was an opponent of the church. It says in Acts chapter 8, and maybe you guys read that when we did the, the Bible journey. It describes his animosity. Acts chapter 8 verse 3. Saul was ravaging the church. Saul is Paul. And entering the house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So he had a particular set of behaviors, right? He heard about the way, he heard about Jesus Christ. He was not a fan. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Of, uh, you know, he was, he was devoutly Jewish in, in a way that was very anti-Jesus. And, and it says that he, he was ravaging the church. It goes on to say in, in chapter 9, Verses one and two, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus so that, he, so that if he found any belonging to the way, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And so he goes on to say, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. So it was on the way to Damascus that he was converted. Thank you. Okay, good. All right. Um. So that's who he was before. But then he has his experience. As he went on his way, I'm, I'm still in chapter 9 of Acts, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard the voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. That is, you gotta imagine, Paul was like, oh, this is bad. <laughs> but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was out of sight and neither ate nor drank. So he, he has this moment, 
and then he comes and uh, Ananias, who's a believer, goes to him and, and heals him. And it says this, immediately something like scales fell from, his eye, fell from his eyes and he regained sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Strengthened. And for some days he was with the disciples in Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And you can, you can imagine why, right? Th- things have changed. He believed one set of things. Now he believes something completely different. And as a result, he, I was wrong. Let me issue a correction. Jesus is the son of God. And his behavior changed as a result of his beliefs. And he goes on to describe that in Verse 10 of 1 Corinthians, but by the grace I, uh, sorry, I'm the least of the apostles because I persecuted the church of God, BC, but, I, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, talking about the other apostles, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. He, he became a believer by grace. He became an apostle by grace. And even when he labored harder than the other apostles, he says, he did so by grace. Now, family, this is what shapes who we are. At its core, this testimony of Jesus Christ crucified and risen is, is, the, is the thing on which we build this church. And it's, it's the means by which God's grace flows to you and me. It's a grace that saves us. It's a grace that, that allows us to see Jesus for who he is and say, oh my, you are the son of God. And it's a grace that allows us to, to press in and persevere. Paul says in Ephesians that, that God has prepared beforehand these good works that we're to walk in. And, and here it says... Um, well, elsewhere, it, it talked about how we're, we're doing righteous deeds. And that, that is all empowered by the gospel. So even our hard work, which is real hard work, whether it's, it's trying to pull off a Sunday and we have people practicing throughout the week to do worship or, or setting up AV or, or doing hospitality or it's in your, your spheres of influence where you're at, at work and you're trying to live a Christian life. You're trying to be uh, a person of integrity at work. You're trying to be a, a loving neighbor. You're trying to be a forgiving relative. All of this work, which is real work, comes as a result of faith in this testimony communicating grace to us. This is why sometimes what you don't need to do is try harder. What you need to do is to remember the gospel. You know, I imagine Paul had these moments after he had been saved where he would look and say, man, I'm tired. You know, I can imagine days after Damascus, the the scales falling off his head, having a, a real personal encounter with Jesus Christ. He is, he's zealous. He's on fire. But then he has these moments of, I go through suffering, I go through torment, I go through tribulation. And maybe he had moments, I'm, 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 this is conjecture, but, but maybe he had moments where he, he wasn't feeling as, as motivated, but he would what? He would remind himself of this gospel that was preached to him, that he received. And family, some of you are in this room and you're tired and, and you feel, oh, where's the grace? 
Where's the grace to deal with my spouse? Where's the grace to deal with my kids? Where's the grace to deal with my, my coworker? Where's the grace to navigate this painful situation? Where's the grace to deal with this health issue in my life? And God would say, the grace is right here. Jesus died for your sins. He, he was buried. He rose again. And, and a dot, 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 he's at the right hand of Jesus. He's right at the right hand of the Father in heaven, interceding for us and commuting, communicating this grace to us, giving this grace to us by his spirit. The grace is available to you, family. This is the grace that we receive. This is the grace that, that shapes our life and our ministry, our identity, right? He says, I am who I am because of this grace. This is the reason we're called grace covenant church because we believe in a covenant of grace, that draws us together, that shapes us, that empowers us. And this is the grace that's available to you, family. Do you need grace today? Do you need grace today? Look at the gospel and receive the gospel and in so doing, receive God's grace for your life.